everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts from Property Apprentice. Join me today for the Week in Review, where I'll talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Our topics for this week, first up, we've got good returns on the 2nd of August. Second tranche of the triple CFA changes are announced. And second topic, one roof, 1st of August, number of home loans down as D-Day approaches for future of housing market. Third topic from interest.co.nz, 1st of August, buyers take control of housing market as asking prices drop. Fourth topic, one roof on the 30th of July, mortgages is now the time to gamble on floating interest rates. And last but not least from the New Zealand Herald on the 2nd of August, Kiwis prioritise three main things in winter months, a credit check boss says. So first up, we've got good returns on the 2nd of August with the second tranche of the triple CFA changes announced. The second tranche of the proposed changes to the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act, commonly referred to as the triple CFA, has been unveiled by the government. This time, the aim is to narrow the expenses of would-be borrowers that must be considered by lending institutions. A document from the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, MB, states that the changes would exclude discretionary expenses more explicitly. The Ministry hopes that this would lessen disproportionate inquiries by lenders and reduce their overestimation of borrower expenses. The changes will likely increase conservative assumptions lenders are required to make about expenses regarding revolving credit contracts, buy now pay later schemes and credit cards. The second tranche is also geared towards various ways of restructuring debt. Lenders and consumers will be assured a faster process and access to safe credit by allowing debt refinancing and consolidation. Through this, debt becomes more manageable for borrowers. The Ministry will accept comments from the financial sector regarding the changes and debate will be open on September the 22nd and the changes will be imposed, wait for it, because you're going to have to, next March. A cabinet paper that came before these changes contained a kind of guilty plea by the government. The paper mentioned that some unintended consequences are emerging, including borrowers across all lending types who should pass the affordability test being subject to declines of credit or reductions of credit amount. Borrowers' finances have also been exposed to intense scrutiny by lenders, which they think is unnecessary. And the process of lending has become more restrictive and onerous than what was expected when the triple CFA changes were made. And this is a direct result of how specific provisions in the triple CFA regulations were designed, drafted and interpreted. Many lenders are taking a more conservative approach to compliance than anticipated, given the triple CFA's strong liability policy. So second topic for this week in review, we've got from one roof on the 1st of August, number of home loans down as D-Day approaches for the future of housing market. These are the five things you need to know this week, according to CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Calvin Davidson. Number one, credit conditions are tighter again. The value of mortgage lending last month was down by 29% compared to June last year. The number of loans is also down by 43%. Investor lending remains soft, but among different groups, owner-occupiers were the weakest in June. In turn, this reflected an easing for first-home buyers due to tighter loan-to-value ratio, or LVR, policies. And after rising to 7.7% in May, which is not far off the 10% speed limit, the share of owner-occupier loans 
done at a low deposit was 6% in June. This isn't surprising given the ongoing pause on this type of lending at some or most of the major banks. Secondly, filled jobs are still growing. The continued strength of the labour market is a key factor in keeping our financial system stable and preventing a crash from taking place in the housing market. Last week's Statistics New Zealand figures showed that there's another rise in filled jobs in June, which is the third in a row. Number three, businesses are more pessimistic. Business confidence remains low, especially for housing developers, and this has the potential to affect the labour market. The latest ANZ survey showed that sentiments weak amongst business owners, which can lead to fewer hires and jobs being cut, but there aren't many signs of that yet. Quarter two, unemployment is the fourth topic. At the time of writing, the Stats New Zealand Quarter 2 report on unemployment has not yet been released. However, the unemployment rate for that quarter is expected to potentially drop even further from its record low of 3.2%. The unemployment rate is the ultimate benchmark measure of labour market health and usually has some correlation with the property market. A low employment rate tends to imply some kind of foundation under the property market, generally because you've got to have a provable income before you can get a loan to purchase a house. However, buyers now have a greater influence, which means house prices are still likely to remain on a downward trajectory. Number five, construction remains a key focus area. This week, Stats New Zealand will also publish June's new dwelling consent data, and it has a chance of being weaker than the May result. An ANZ survey showed that house builder confidence is low because of new customers becoming more hesitant to sign on for projects. This is mostly because of rising mortgage rates and sharp increases in building costs, and obviously also with rising with rising mortgage rates, that also makes it tougher to get lending because banks increase their test rates that they check your serviceability with. Uh, this will reflect in the new dwelling consent figure, if not this month, then likely in the next few. To be fair, the pipeline of consents already approved should keep builders busy for a while, although it's highly likely that some of those consents might never be acted on. If you want to learn more about the property market, join me at one of our free Beginner's Guide to Property Investment events, which we hold live, online or in person in our office in Ellerslie in Auckland. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. I'll see you there. Topic number three, interest.co.nz on the 1st of August. Um, buyers take control of the housing market as asking prices drop. According to realestate.co.nz, there's now double the number of homes available for sale compared to a year ago, which is great news for people that are looking at purchasing. gives you much more choice. Asking prices continue to tumble and the number of new listings remains above pre-pandemic levels. All these are signs that buyers are in full control of the housing market. Realestate.co.nz spokesperson Vanessa Williams said that they're seeing a record number of consents from councils to build new homes, while buyers' fear of missing out is decreasing. The website had 26,358 residential properties available for sale at the end of July, and that's more than double, 108% increase in the number it had at the end of July last year. In spite of high levels of stock available for sale, new listings remain at average levels. In July, there were only 7,470 new residential lendings, which is down from 7,870 in July last year, but still above pre-pandemic levels in July 2019. 
there's an observable downward trend on asking prices. The national asking average price of properties listed for sale in realestate.co.nz declined from its peak of 994,885 in January 2022 down to 907,411 in July 2022, which is a decrease of $87,474. In Auckland, the average asking price in July 2022 is $1.127 million and change, so $1,127,236, and that's down from $1.279,330 million, which was the asking price in January 2022. That's a decline of $152,094. Average asking prices in all regions have fallen from the peak set late last year or early this year. Wellington and the Bay of Plenty have been knocked out of the Million Dollar Plus Club. Previously, the average asking prices in those two areas were above $1 million. In the Bay of Plenty, the average asking price peaked at $1,019,763 in February 2022, by July, they declined to 938,770, and that's down by 80,993. In Wellington, the average asking price dropped from its January 2022 peak of $1,013,206 down to 927,395 in July, which is down by 85,811. And if you have listened to previous podcasts of mine or uh, any of our free events that you've attended, you'll know that we're not big fans of reporting on medians or averages because they can be quite easily skewed. If you want to see my comments about that, have a look back at some previous podcasts that I've done on that topic. Uh, we prefer to look at the house price index. It gives you a much more accurate indicator as to what's actually happening with the property market rather than those um, medians and averages, which can change quite dramatically from month to month. Fourth topic for this week in review, we've got on uh, the 30th of July on, on one roof, mortgages is now the time to gamble on floating interest rates. Homeowners due to refix their mortgage this year face steeper repayments as interest rates climb higher, but some are tipping that it'll drop again next year. Is it worth using the variable floating rate instead of the fixing rate? Interest rates are already nearly twice what they were a year ago. As a response to rising inflation, the Reserve Bank raised the official cash rate, the OCR, six times in the last nine months. From a record low of 0.25%, it's now 2.5% and is likely to continue to increase in the next monetary policy statement on August the 17th. Property commentators and many economists expect the OCR to peak at around 4% and most of the major banks have started factoring in future rises into their mortgage rates. Independent economist Tony Alexander anticipates a shift before 2023. In a recent column for One Roof, he wrote inflation looks to have peaked, mortgage rates are, are likely to fall before the end of the year, the peak of the credit crunch has passed and an easing of LVR rules is likely before the end of the year or early next year, which is great news for buyers. He didn't say it's great news for buyers. That was the bit I added in. Are floating rates worth the risk for homeowners, though? Floating rates move according to overall interest rates and can be easily influenced by changes in the economy. However, it is a common practice for most homeowners in New Zealand to fix their mortgage rates for one or two year periods. 
Homeowners who fixed at extremely low rates offered one or two years ago face a huge leap in their interest rate repayments. The life cycle of a mortgage, interest is simply a charge for borrowing money. It's expressed as an annual percentage rate, and according to this article, if a person borrowed $1 million at 6% interest, the annual cost of the loan in the first year would be $60,000. The amount borrowers would pay in the second year of the loan depends on how much of the original million dollars, commonly known as capital, is paid down during the year. If only interest is paid and no capital is paid back, then the interest for that year is still 60000 So it's in the interest of borrowers to pay down their capital quickly in order to reduce their interest payments. The interest rate gamble. Homeowners and banks take a gamble when they agree to fix a mortgage rate for a period of time. Should a floating interest rate go down, the homeowner loses because they'd still need to pay the higher rate. Banks can't accurately predict the movement of interest rates, and there was a period of time between mid-2020 and mid-2021 when people on fixed rates paid less than 4%. Another historical example is when many New Zealanders fixed for long periods in 2007 and 2008 when interest rates were over 10%. In May 2008, the floating rate was was 10.72%, and people who fixed for two, three, or five years were paying between 9.33% and 9.35%. Many of them would have felt that they were getting a deal compared to the floating rate, but a year later, the floating rate fell to 6.37%. That means that those who'd fixed had continued to pay nearly 3% more per annum than the floating rate. Total cost of a mortgage, another figure to be aware of, is the total amount of money paid. This depends on a number of factors, including the interest rate and the term. The longer the repayment period, the more the homeowner pays. The example given in this article is of a $500,000 mortgage with an interest rate of 5.89% and a home loan term of 30 years. The total amount adds up to just over $1 million. If, however, the same $500,000 is paid back over 25 years at the same interest rate, the total cost is around $50,000 less, and over 20 years, it's $150,000 less. First-home buyers often can't afford repayments for periods shorter than 30 years to start with, but they should strive to reduce the length of their mortgage when they can, uh, when they can afford it, and when they can afford to pay more. So in answer to the, the topic of is now the time to gamble on floating interest rates, I think um, the best thing that I can suggest is to get in touch with a mortgage advisor who deals with a range of different lenders and get some advice based on your individual situation. Okay. Topic number five, New Zealand Herald on the 2nd of August, Kiwis prioritise three main things in winter months, a credit check boss says. The latest credit data from Centrix shows that the number of credit accounts in arrears is up by 14% in July this year compared to July last year. Centrix Managing Director Keith McLaughlin said that products like mortgages and vehicle loans are usually the last credit payments people let slip, which indicates that we could be starting to see signs of financial stress. However, McLaughlin notes that there's a steady decrease of home loans and arrears. Utility arrears are also at historically low levels. That means that Kiwis are prioritising their housing, electricity bills and other essentials during the cold winter months. New lending for mortgages has now recovered to pre-pandemic levels, but remains lower compared to 2021. 
This is to be expected given the 38.1% fall in residential property sales volumes in June compared with June last year and a 9.5% fall in house prices from last November's peak. Centric said that the business sector is feeling the impact of inflation and is wary of discretionary spending. The retail sector is hit with rising defaults and lower activity on top of staff shortages and supply chain issues. But with borders reopening, the tourism sector is experiencing strong activity. More than 620,000 credit accounts have been opened by credit users aged 30 years old and under, and 46% of them opened a buy now, pay later account as their first instance of using credit. Nevertheless, buy now, pay later customer inquiries were down 30% compared to July last year, and overall demand for new credit products was down 6% in July, with mortgage applications down 29% compared to July last year. New mortgage lending was down 18%. So if you can avoid doing things like buy now, pay later, absolutely do avoid that, uh, certainly if you're looking to, to get a mortgage at some stage in the near future, uh, because you know if you've got debt, like personal unsecured lending, uh, credit card debt, uh, buy now, pay later, all of those things can affect your ability to get a loan. So to find out more about the housing market and some strategies that work for investing today, because the property market's always changing and so are the rules. So we'll keep you up to date at our free training sessions, which we hold almost every week, either online or live in our room in Ellerslie in Auckland. If you want to join me at one of those free events, feel free to register for an upcoming date at propertyapprentice.co.nz and I'll look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this week in review.